preach in Jesus' name this morning. <clears throat> uh, Dwight, you weren't supposed to be jerking on my emotions like that right before I get up, but anyhow. First of all, I'd like to thank the congregation here for blessing our lives. We received a lot of tokens of appreciation in the last week or so, and we certainly thank you for that. We will always have fond memories of being here, living here, and we certainly will be back, Lord willing. So kind of last sermon kind of puts you in a pressure cooker, you know, it's like, well, this one's got to be the best one of all or something. You know, it's like, no, no, no. Uh, but the Lord gave me this title, this message, probably, I don't know, a month ago. I didn't have any idea that the Sunday school lesson was what it was, and certainly every song that we have sung this morning has contributed to the the thrust of this message. And the title of the message, I think I changed it probably half a dozen times, uh, but I finally settled on faith in the presence of God for the future. There's times where in, in our lives where things change, um, yeah, and we don't know exactly what all the future holds for us. Uh, most of the time we just kind of coast along and assume that everything's going to be like it always was and, you know, and then we just kind of get caught up short by life and situations that surround us. And so I was... Uh, my mind went to what does really stabilize us in life through all the changing scenery, if you want to call it. What what can we really grab onto? And uh, the presence of God. What what constitutes the presence of God? We, we, we say God is everywhere. Um, no one ever has here, has seen God physically. Uh, that's not possible, as we will learn later in the, in the message. You can't physically look at God and live. So if anybody actually had that possibility, it wouldn't. They wouldn't be alive. So it involves faith, all right? Um, realizing the presence of God involves faith. And now, in Hebrews 11 says that faith is having confidence in what we hope for and, and an assurance of what we have not seen. Um, but there has to be a foundation of that faith. Faith Faith has to rest on something, all right? Um, any, anything less than God, faith uh, ends up with, a, with an end, all right? Because everything is going to have an end except God. So, so faith isn't wishful thinking, Um it's confidence in a God that we can't physically see, 
but his his reality is the truest reality in the universe. We we can look at things that we think are real, all right? We we can say, well, that's real. I, I know it's real because I can see it. But of all what we think is real, the only true reality is God. God is more real than everything else put together. Uh, his it's shown in the in the in his creative works around us. Um, he made his his reality as visible as he possibly could without hurting us by sending Jesus Christ. All right, like I say, there's he he, he veiled himself. In the person of Jesus Christ, and, and Christ came down here and, and related to man. And, and so if we, if we want to know what God is like, obviously can't see him or else we would die. If we want to know what God is like, then we need to just, Jesus said, you, you see me, you see the Father. It's just that simple. And so God revealed himself. The things that we can't see, he revealed through Jesus Christ. His character, his God's love. Um, and, and that list could go on and on. So our, our, our faith has to be founded on the reality of God. And I repeat, the only permanent reality. Is that complicated? Is that hard? I remember a bulletin board at Maranatha Bible School that read like this. It said, simple faith. And underneath it said, ask the question, is there any other kind? And so our, our reality of God, what we think of God is, is the basis of how we comprehend his presence and the impact of that presence in our, in our daily life. Short term, long term. There's some men in Athens that Paul talked to that had a messed up uh, view of God. In Acts 17, uh, if you want to turn there, Acts 17, verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. 
For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world, and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times appointed and the bonds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as ye are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that God is like unto silver, gold or silver or stone graven by art and men's device. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commendeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day into which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. So, where's God? If he withdrew his presence, there would not be a single soul here alive. None. In him we live and move and have our being. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we live by faith and not by sight. So we live by faith, yet we don't look, we don't walk alone. The unseen God that we serve, we have not seen physically with our eyes, walks with us every step of our life. Empowers us to breathe, whatever. And, we move, we live, we have our being. We are who we are. I am Dennis Martin because of God, and you are who you are because of God. Now, for me, it's a temptation. I, I, I'll confess this morning. It's, it's a temptation for me to allow my concept of the reality to God, reality of God to rise or fall depend on my circumstances. <clears throat> Things go well? Oh yeah, God's really real. I mean, oh he did this, he did that, you know, and 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 and, and we're all excited about it. Things go wrong? What do we think? Where's God? You see, my concept of the reality of the presence of God, if I'm as not as spiritually mature as I should be, rises and falls in relation to my circumstances. 
oh, if my life is going, you know, really, really good, it's things seem secure and everything's really smooth and fine, and he's like, yeah, you know, God, God, God's here. But when my future is unknown, or seemingly unknown, or I feel insecure, then then I I can be tempted to feel that God's a little distant. See, that's an indication that open confession by the minister that my faith sometimes is weak. It's not what it should be. Because God never changes. He doesn't back off when I face difficulties. He's not backing off. When he asked me to do this, something is difficult or a dramatic change in my life or whatever. He's not backing off. See, that doesn't change his presence. Because God never changes. And, and, and he's always there. And he's in complete control of the circumstances that surround me. Nations are dropping a bucket in the small dust of the scale like this. He holds the nations in the palm of his hand. And and yet my faith wavers a little bit and says, where's God? I should be ashamed of myself. God's always there. He always was, he is, and he always will be. You see, compare my confession here to the three Hebrew children, and you got a completely different scenario to my shame. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I mean, they saw the fire, and it fueled their commitment to God. They were fueled by fire. Didn't stand around and say, where's God? They said, our our God's able, he's here. You know, I'm not sure what he's going to do, but that really don't make any difference, O king. In all due respect, we're just not going to, we're just not going to bow down. And the fire's hot, and they're pumping on the bows, and they're making it seven times hotter, and it doesn't matter. I mean, it just solidifies their commitment to their God. He's not leaving us. He is well able to deliver us. We don't know if He will, but He's here. Oh, a faith like that. That difficulty or change or whatever fuels our faith and solidifies the presence of God. They said, we don't know what happened. But what happened? There's a fourth man showed up. Right? The fourth man showed up. It was, oh, they got a fancy name for that. I can never remember what it is, but it's a, a, a 
when Jesus showed himself before he actually was born. There, there's a there's a theological name for it. Anybody know what it is? I, I can't remember. But, yeah. Jesus came down and walked, stood in the fire. Anybody worried about, anybody, any doubt in anybody's mind where the presence of God was? God took the opportunity of those three men whose faith was fueled by the fire to show himself strong. That, that to me is so challenging. I think, I, I think, for me, I, maybe for you, I don't know, I, I think it's, as God's people, we need to become aware in a, in a greater way of our total dependence on God, His ability to be there, and a desire to see His glory. No. We don't want God's presence just to make us look good. All right. We want His presence so that He is glorified. Turn with me in your letter from home to Exodus 33, and we're going to look at that a little bit. And we're going to read Exodus 33, 12 to 23. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou saith unto me, Bring up this people. And thou hast not let me, thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us up, not up hence. For wherein shall be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing that thou, also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy unto whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. The Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. Thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take my 
Away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Here's Moses, and he has this responsibility of leading God's people. And he says to God in verse 12, uh, well, you, you didn't really tell me who's going to go with me. I need some more information. I, I cannot, for me, I cannot visualize being put in Moses' shoes. What was this, like two, three million people? Uh some pretty traumatic events took place there uh, in Moses' leadership up to this point. Um, one of them, um, Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, and he came down, and they had this calf, and they were worshiping this calf. And I can't imagine what that did to Moses' heart. I just... That that that's incredible. In fact, if I recall, God was so upset with Israel. He says, "I I I got to distance myself." Now, what I'm going to do, so that I can distance myself from all this sin and evil that these people are doing. I'm going to send an angel to lead you. And I, I suppose for Moses that was pretty unsettling. All right, God says, I'm going to back off a little bit. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to leave you, but I'm going to back off and I'm going to put an angel to lead you. Now, can you imagine what that would be like? You know, we're like Moses, you know, so maybe our future is unknown. Uh, God's leading is clear, but we feel inadequate. We feel small. We feel <coughs> keenly that I need some help. Lord, you know, it's like I know, I, I know what my job is, but I don't know who you're going to send to help me. The task is too big. And I think that's a good, uh, that's a good, uh, basically a good feeling. That we realize that we, we can't do this by ourselves. We need God. We need our brothers and sisters in church. We need to all band together. Everybody's got to work together the best that they absolutely can to make this all happen. But we want more information. We, we just want more information. And Moses reminds God, he says, uh, Remember, you said that I know you by name and that you have found grace in my sight. Moses reminds God, it's like, listen, God, we have this first name communication basis. All right. Remember that I have a relationship with you. And remember that I'm a recipient of your grace. I think that's good for us to remember. Lord, I'm your child. 
you have extended your grace to me through salvation in Jesus Christ. Um, I'm not tragically alone here. You and I are in this together. Then Moses says to God in verse 15, I pray you, God, if I have found grace in your sight, show me thy way that I may know thee. I found it interesting that he said, doesn't say, show me your way so that I can lead the people. He says, show me your way so that I can know you. Leading the people is a result of that knowing. That relationship with God. Teach me your ways. You know, when I ask God to teach me more about Himself and I'm seeking God, then I become more, I, I become eligible for more outpouring of the power of God in my life. And, and He says, that's going to draw attention of those around me. That increases my impact on the, on the society and the culture around me if I can find out and live effectively God's way. Second, Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. God's eyes are looking. He's looking for people like you and me that want to know his way, want to be taught, so that he can pour himself Show himself strong in our behalf. And verse 14 is a tremendous statement. I don't know if I can comprehend this statement. God made a simple statement. He said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. Wow. I have a hard time comprehending the magnitude and the ramifications of that promise. And I long for the faith that can take that simple promise of God to me as his child and experience it, take it at face value and experience it on a day-to-day -day basis. That's what I, I would like. I think if I can comprehend the presence of God and, and what all that means and how that works out in my life, God says it'll bring me rest. If I'm in turmoil, I feel God is far away. I, I won't be at rest. 
But if I take the promise that, that I will always be with you, then I can, my faith can rest on that fact. Do I understand the reality? Can I comprehend? Do I understand the reality of God's presence surrounding me every day of my life? Turn with me in your hymn to the church, number 139. I love this song. Particularly verse 3. This song talks about the presence of God. How he knows us in and out. He is he's just everywhere. Could our song leader give me an E flat? Moses makes this profound plea to God in verse 15. And he, Moses, said unto God, him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us up, not up hence. Moses said, if you're not going to be in my future, I don't even want to go to my future. I don't even want to think about my future. My future's done. It's toast. It's over. You ever think about that? What would it be like if God withdrew His presence from your life? I can't comprehend that. But when I try to think of it, it brings to the forefront what I take for granted so often. The stability, the security that I experience as a child of God. The stability, the security that we as a congregation can feel because of the presence of God. He's everywhere. Within his circling powers we stand. On every side he finds his hand. Doesn't matter if I'm awake, doesn't matter if I'm asleep, doesn't matter if I'm sitting in church, doesn't matter if I'm working. 
It's there. Verse 16, For in, wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Brothers and sisters, this morning, there's two classes of people. The people that are right with God and have the presence of God in their life on a daily basis, and the people that don't. And and Moses said, there's two classes here. I want to be in the class, I want your people to be in the class where you and your presence are there. If I decide, if I would unfortunately decide to pattern my life after the ungodly and the sinful and those who know not God, then I would put myself in a class that I would never want to be. Folks, that's sobering. God said, that is the thing that separates the one class from the other. Whether I have the presence of God in my life or whether I don't. And that's how God's people are going to be known. When they have the presence of God in their life. Verse 17, and the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing. Also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. God joyfully obliges those who have an intimate relationship with him and implore him for his presence. God, I want your presence. I I need it. I'm feeling this, or if I'm feeling that, or I'm feeling something else, and I, I, I feel like you're distanced. Please, God, show me your presence. And God says, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to. When God says it, that settles it. And then Moses moves on. All right, God, I want your presence. All right, <laughs> and 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 then and then Moses kind of gets more bold again, and and he says to God, he says, "Okay, I, all right, maybe we have this agreement that you're going to have. Uh, I'm going to have your presence in my life." And but he said, "Would you show me your glory?" That that just tells me something about Moses. He's not. He's never really satisfied in his walk with God. He wants more. And so he says, show me your glory. Did Moses know what he asked for? <laughs> Revelation 1. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in the book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, unto Laodicea. 
And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and I tur- and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. In the midst of the seven candlesticks was like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle, and his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet was like unto fine brass, as they burned in a furnace, and his voice is a sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I felt his feet as dead. He laid his hand upon me and said, Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. You think John wondered where God was after that encounter? You think he wondered? After he saw what he saw and he fell down as dead, did he say, I wonder where God is today? See, that, that tells me that I have way too low of a concept of the presence of God. Do we as God's people understand the power and the majesty of the God that leads us? In response to Moses' request, and God said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy unto whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. All right, I'm going to show you my goodness, but I, I can't, I can't let you see me physically. Because I, I still got work for you to do. I, mean, I don't want a dead Moses. Alright? So somehow I'm going to have to protect you. Now if God told Moses, you can't even look at me and live, what would happen if Moses touched God? Okay, looking is not physical contact, all right? You can't look. I mean, just looking is going to kill you if I let you do that. What would happen if Moses would have touched God? A poor illustration might be compare God's power to a 765,000-volt cross-country power line. Now, this is a poor illustration because there's no comparison in the, in, in the difference, all right? Which is greater, God or a 765,000-volt power line? Well, the, obvious, the answer is obvious. 
you can't touch a 765,000 volt power line and live. I mean, it's going to be poof and maybe some ashes or something, you know. I would highly respect a 765,000 volt power line. Like, yeah, you know, that's more power than what I want to dabble with. I, 110, you know, wakes me up if I ever get accidentally touch it or something. But 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 just as an illustration, it's like Lord said, behold. There is a place by me, and I shall stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, and I shall see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. What he's saying is, Moses is serving a God that was so powerful that God had to shield himself lest he die. Folks, this morning we're serving a God that obviously is shielding his entire power to us so that we can live. That's how great he is. That's how powerful his presence is. That's how great his glory is. Obviously, he's shielding us. I was going to read Psalm 19, but I, I will cease and desist to do that. So, the question remains. Is the presence of God adequate to secure my future and your future? Is it adequate? Absolutely, positively resounding, yes, it is. The words of Jesus, all power is given unto me. Let me stop here. All right. When people live, and sometimes it's very important, like what was their last words? What was their last words? And we hang on to their last words. All right. A parent died. What was their last words? People were interested in what they said the last, you know, kind of people kind of sum up their life and. It's important what those last words are. Jesus' last words. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, let's say it together. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus' last words. Lo, I am with you, even unto the end of the world. Absolutely yes. Praise God. 
Let's kneel in prayer.